Welcome to All About Agatha, the podcast dedicated to reading and ranking every single mystery novel written by the queen of crime, Dame Agatha Christie. I'm Kemper Donovan. I'm Catherine Broback. And I am so excited to announce that we will not be discussing any specific Agatha Christie short story or novel on this episode because we are doing our annual State of the Rankings episode. Yes! Happy belated anniversary. Yes, happy belated anniversary to you too, Catherine. Uh, We are doing this one a little late this year, but you know, we had a lot going on on the actual anniversary of our podcast, which is of course Christie's birthday, what with all that was happening over at the International Agatha Christie Festival. So let's just get right into it and talk about where we are on our grid. As always, prior to airing this episode, we will be posting our grid of the rankings, both before this discussion and then after so that you can look at it and follow along if you so choose. It might make this conversation a little bit more enjoyable and easy to follow along. So starting at the top and going on down, let's begin with our top five titles here. Number one, Five Little Pigs. Number two, and then there were none. Technically, those two are tied, but uh, we've decided to put Five Little Pigs in the top spot. Don't worry, Catherine, we will not be relitigating that. Yeah, I was going to say, we're going to have some issues, you know, and you don't want to fight on your anniversary. (laughs) Absolutely not. So uh, in the number three spot, we have the murder of Roger Ackroyd. Number four is Crooked House. And number five is A Murder is Announced. I feel really good about that top five. Yeah, I do too. Would you change any of them? I wouldn't change any of them. And I actually really like that we have two Poirots, two standalones, and a Miss Marple in there. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy in particular that there is a Miss Marple in the top five. But interestingly, I find that the further I get from a murder is announced, the slightly less I think of it when comparing it to Christie's of as a whole, but I still do adore it. And I think there, it has so much to recommend it. And I'm not even saying that I want to move it out of the top five, because I don't think that there's another Miss Marple that should replace it. But it was just interesting to me as I was reviewing this grid, I was like, huh, murder is announced as number five. Wow. That's really high, but I guess that's okay. It makes sense. Well, it's funny because I feel like we refer to uh, The Murder at the Vicarage and Body in the Library far more than we do Murder is Announced, don't you think? A hundred percent. And that is the conclusion I came to as well. I think that we both have far more affection for Murder at the Vicarage and The Body in the Library. You know, I'm very happy that Murder at the Vicarage is in our top ten currently. It's actually sitting at number nine. And I really want it to stay in our top 10. I think it's really important because Burner the Vicarage was written in 1930. That was a long time ago. And we refer to it all the time. And I just can't recommend it enough. So I agree. And I think one of my arguments for shuffling the rankings a little bit, one of my few arguments for shuffling the rankings a little bit on this episode is going to be that the body in the library actually needs to be a bit higher than it is because it's fairly low actually right now, all the way at number 24, 49. So it's sitting in the middle and I think it should be a bit higher than that. 
We'll come back to we'll that. We'll come back to I that. Mean, yes. No, ab- absolutely. We're getting ahead of ourselves. But all that is to say, I agree with you that it's just curious that we don't have the same affection for murder as announced, but I think it's an excellently constructed book. And I think that it makes sense that it is currently the highest ranked Miss Marple. And I'm glad that it's in the top five. It's just a little bit of a curiosity to me. So I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, it's odd just because I don't think I'd change anything about where it is other than the fact that... Yeah, you're right. It's a curiosity. We don't we don't talk about it at all. That we talk about it, you know. Actually, in fairness, we talk about it quite a bit. Right. We just. I think we we tend to really refer back to Murder at the Vicarage and the Body in the Library, just because Murder at the Vicarage is the first Miss Marple, and then the Body in the Library really just seems to be the archetype. I think for a Miss Marple novel and a murder is announced has a lot that I think is specific to it as a novel. So perhaps it's just not as good of a reference when speaking of the Marpelian corner of the Christie verse. So well, perhaps that's right. why. And actually in fairness also that might make more sense when you consider that there are two standalones in the top five. Yes. If you look at the entirety of the top five in that context, all five of them are operating a little bit as standalones. Yeah, that's actually an excellent point. And I think because they can operate as standalones, that's kind of indicative of how strong they are as novels. The fact that they are operating as standalone novels, that they don't even need the support of the rest of the canon. But when we are just sort of doing what we do in this podcast, sometimes it might mean that we just don't reference them as much. But yeah, you know what? You you have made me comfortable with the fact that this is in the top five, even though we might not talk about it as much, because I think that's probably exactly why because it functions on its own. And that right. is also a recommendation. So, right. yeah. Okay. So top five uh, stands as is. Let's uh, do our next five books, six through 10. Starting at number six, we have Murder on the Orient Express, then The Hollow at number seven, Death on the Nile at number eight, The Murder at the Vicarage at number nine, and Peril at End House at number 10. Um, Although, let's note right here, that Parallel Ed House is a choice at number 10 because a lot of these have exactly the same total. That is, yes, that is true. Parallel Ed House comes in at 33 points and we have <laughs> one, two, Quite three, four, five, six, six books at 33 points. Right. So let's look at the ones above that first. Sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, this might be a, a controversial opinion, but The further we get on with the canon, the more highly I think of Death on the Nile. And I think that's been a little bit of a theme of whenever we revisit these rankings that we initially were way too hard on Death on the Nile in our episode. And I think we've rectified that. It's already come up a lot in the rankings. I kind of feel like it should be above the hollow, though. The only reason why I would put it above the hollow would be because of its significance. Mm -hmm. I don't personally feel like it needs to be above the hollow. I think the hollow is doing something more interesting. I absolutely agree. I think the hollow is doing something more interesting because the hollow is a really unusual book. And I think Mm -hmm. it's really important actually that the hollow be in the top 10 because I think it's overlooked too often because for whatever reason, it just hasn't been traditionally one of the more celebrated Christie's. But I think among, you know, true Christie scholars and fans, it's very, very highly esteemed. And I like think it deserves to be really high up there. No, I do too. But it is doing something weird and different. And I think that 
you know, Death on the Nile is, I think, ultimately one of the most Christie-ish books in the canon. I mean, I think that the way that the denouement functions and the surprise of that ending and the way that, you know, she's pulling off the revelation of what's happening in that love triangle, even though it's something that she had already done with her very first book, just the way that she's pulling it off with those exquisitely drawn characters. And, you know, it's such a standout Poirot book where he's doing everything that he traditionally does with his sympathy with the murderer. Ironically, we give him a pretty low detective score. I know what I would do. And honestly, if you really feel strongly about it, you don't want to do it. I'm fine with keeping things where they are. But I agree with you. I think that a six out of 10 for detective characterization is really low for Death on the Nile, actually. Although, by the way, I actually think we gave it a six on The Hollow, too. And I actually think I argued at the time that I thought it was a little bit low. Yeah, I think in The Hollow, Poirot feels extremely beside the point. He randomly has a country house that's right next to this country house so that he can like come over for lunch and almost witness the murder. It's just bizarre. He feels very shoved into that book in a way that he doesn't, I think, in the best Poirots. I never really warmed to him completely as a detective there, but in Death on the Nile, I mean, he's doing all of the things that we love Poirot to do, which is not only brilliantly solving a mystery, but playing Papa Poirot and having all this sympathy for a murderer and sort of like, you know, getting inside her head and having this special relationship. I really don't have a problem with the six out of 10 for detective characterization in the hollow, but to me, it feels a tick low in Death and Nile. I mean, what I would do is give that a seven so that it tied with the hollow and murder on the Orient Express for 35 points and just switch the hollow and death on the Nile. So death on the Nile was in seventh place and the hollow was in eighth place. I would agree with um, upping the detective characterization to seven, but I would actually rather leave Death in the Nile where it is. I think that we can up them so that they have a tied score, mm-hmm. but I would rather still leave Death of the Nile where it is. Okay. You know what? Slow and steady wins the race. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just laying the groundwork here, Catherine. All right. So we're- I know. I know. Well, and, you know, I, I think that you'll probably agree with me. I actually like Death on the Nile more than I like Murder on the Orient Express. No, I do too. I mean, we've talked about this as well. Murder on the Orient Express, perhaps a little bit similar to A Murder is Announced, is a book that is extremely important. It needs to be really high up. But I don't think either of us has a ton of affection for it, relatively speaking, obviously. This is the. You know, relatively. This is all like, relative, let's but, be very clear. Yeah. Relatively speaking. It's true, though. And we don't talk about it that much because, again, no. that is another standalone book where she's doing right. something totally different. I mean, that concept is so gonzo that the book is just an outlier and it stands on its own. And how often do we really have to refer back to it? It's an anomaly, but in the best of ways. I know. I mean, you're almost talking about, so the top six, in fact, not just the top five, but the top six. And then the hollow, the hollow is similar to other books and we bring it up all the time, but you know, it's odd in its own way. It is odd in its own way. I mean, funnily enough, some people do bring up the hollow as 
a little bit of a murder on the Orient Express light because there is this notion that most of the characters in the book know that we should probably have said, by the way, at the top of this episode that, of course, we're going to be spoiling any of the titles like this is going to be a spoiler heavy episode. Right, right. Although although we have not mentioned any spoilers thus far. We haven't. So I'm about to spoil The Hollow for a second, just sort of. And and you're about to spoil Murder on the Orient Express. Although if you are listening to this podcast <laughs> and you do not know the plot of Murder on the Orient Express, I'm not. Please I mean, write us because you, you are yeah, an enigma and I want to know more about you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I suppose fast forward a little bit if you haven't read either of those titles. But, you know, there is the notion in The Hollow that most of these characters within the Everybody family... Everybody knows who did it. They know that Gerda did it, so they all kind yeah. of band together to try to keep her from actually being fingered for the crime. It doesn't work out that way in the end for poor Gerda. Well, it's, it's, it's the reverse in some ways, a murder on the Orient Express because murder on the Orient Express, they all did it. And in the hollow, they all pretend to do it in order to protect the person who the did The person it. who actually did it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm fine with that slight little change. Again, I love the fact that murder at the Vicarage is in our top 10. And then, yeah, let's talk about these novels then that sit at 33 points, which is spots 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. So they are Peril at House, Cards on the Table, The ABC Murders, After the Funeral, Sad Cypress, and Toward Zero. All like such fantastic titles. I mean, that's what I love about this list at this point. We're far enough along in the canon that the top 15 are all near flawless books, or at least books yeah. that are just superlative and fantastic and wonderful. And let's just like take a moment to admire the fact that Agatha Christie was able to create so many of these amazing mystery novels for our yeah. enjoyment. It's just incredible. I think the argument about keeping Peril at End House at 10 mm-hmm. is that we reference it very frequently and it's doing several things in it early on mm-hmm. that are incredibly relevant to other Christie's. Yeah, a little bit what I was talking about in terms of Death on the Nile. It's a very Christie-ish novel where she's doing Christie-ish things. going to spoil Parallel Den House for a second. That's, I believe, the first time that she's using the nickname. The name clue. Obfuscation. Yeah, yeah and she goes on to use that a lot. It's the would-be victim did it also, which mm-hmm. is something that I believe Christie was the first one to do that, or at least certainly the first one to do it in so notorious a way. So, yeah. We, I, have, like, we have like this um, interest in youth culture falling apart, Mm -hmm. which we see elsewhere. Yeah, it's the sort of like the decadence of would-be glitterati. That's something that we see over and over again. Yeah. No, it's it's just doing so much. It's a really important book within the canon. So I absolutely think it deserves to be at number 10. I have no problem with Peril and House being at the top of this pack, followed by Cards on the Table, because I really do adore... I still adore Cards on the Table, and we actually do talk about Cards on the Table. We do. We know it's a little bit of a controversial pick for some of our dearest listeners, because Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't like that book. Yeah. And we're not even bridge players, and we still love it. I know. I know. (laughs) We had to, like, literally look up the rules for bridge. (laughs) ABC Murders, I think, is such an important Christie book. I love the fact that that's next at number 12. Then, you know, I think the last three perhaps get a little bit murkier, but I think I feel good about them. After the Funeral, followed by Sad Cypress, followed by Towards Zero. How do you feel about that, Catherine? After the Funeral, I 
quite like. So, and Sad Cypress, we both love. Mm-hmm. Sad Cypress also falls a little bit into the almost standalone category. Yes, absolutely. She's doing something a bit different there. You know, it's funny, we're kind of sorting these very generally into two opposing categories, Christie-ish and standalone, <laughs> right? And I think that After the Funeral is another really good example of Christie doing a lot of Christie-ish things extremely well. Slight spoiler on, I, on that, but like the costuming that she does there, I think in some ways that's one of her best costuming and impersonation obfuscations. She did it a lot earlier on in a, in a clunkier way, and I think she actually pulls it off extremely well in that novel. Yeah. Toward Zero is the only one that I'm a little iffy on, not because I don't actually love the setup of Toward Zero. I actually think that Toward Zero, for the majority of Toward Zero, is great. Yeah, I will. I mean, I think that actually that one falls into the standalone category a bit. And it's one actually that Christy herself, I think, identified on more than one occasion. I mean, she she gave so many different answers as to what's your favorite among the books you wrote that we can't really put much stock in any of those answers. But I do remember reading that she particularly loved the establishing concept that instead of a murder starting off the story, the idea is... What are all of the events that bring you to a point where somebody commits murder. Where someone commits murder. Right. So let's go back into the past before that point and then treat the murder as the zero point, right? So the book is, is yeah. just heading toward the murder. And it, and it is really interesting. And the book has a bite and an energy to it mm-hmm. because of it that. It really does. Yeah. It really, like, I actually think it, it, it 100% should be in the top 15 or, you know, it might get knocked a few uh, rankings down, I think, by the time everything is said and done with our podcast project. And that's fine. But I think it should be certainly in the top third. But there's also a reason why it is at the bottom of all of those novels that we've ranked at 33, because it's not perfect. Um, But I I feel really good about the fact that it is the final novel that got 33 points. So it's kind of like the final novel among the ones that are all superlative. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, let's just talk about our next pack of novels, which are sitting at 32 points, because we've got a huge tie here as well. So let's see if we like the way that we sorted these. First, at number 16, we have Evil Under the Sun, then Three Act Tragedy, followed by Appointment with Death, Lord Edgware Dies, Mrs. McGinty's Dead, 450 from Paddington, and Taken at the Flood. That is a lot of novels at 32 points. So that's 16 through 22. How do you feel about those? I love the fact that Evil Under the Sun is at the top of that pack yeah. because I think that's another one similar to Death on the Nile for me where... Well, we bring it up all the time. All so. the, yeah, all the time. And I think what she's doing there, I mean, it's funny because it's another one of the Christie Love Triangle novels, just like Death on the Nile. But, um, right. And, you know, slight spoiler for Evil Under the Sun now, but... I always bring it up because it's Christy using character to solve the mystery puzzle, right? I just think it's so brilliant how she uses our... Preconceived notions. Yeah, our preconceived notions, our inability to see Orlena Marshall for who she is. And when she kind of lifts the veil on who this woman actually is, everything falls into place. And I think that is a very Christy-ish thing to do. And it's also representative of what she does so many other times in the canon. And it's one of the best examples of what she does. It's also just a really fun book. I I haven't forgotten it. I think there's a sparkle to that book as well. It's one of the better Christie on Holiday books. Yes, Um, it is. So, yeah, I think it should be at the top. 
I'm a huge fan of three act tragedy. I think we differ a little bit on that one, but I remain a big fan. No. And we mention it. I mean, it's doing some interesting structure and obfuscation things. Yeah. And just sort of the spoiler on this, but the idea of a murder as a dress rehearsal, I think that's one of her most brilliant concepts. We get the classics of like costuming, et cetera, there too. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, never underestimate the help. Never underestimate the help. I'm very happy with React Tragedy being at 17. And um, Appointment with Death, we do also talk a lot about. I think that's one of Christie's finest novels in terms of character, actually. Yeah, that's fair. And Lord Edgeware Dies, I mean, right now Lord Edgeware Dies is at number 19. I think it actually is very important that that novel also be in the top third of the canon when all is said and done, because I think it's an extremely important one. So I would not want it to be any lower. It's, you know, despite the fact that my arch nemesis is in it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, no, it's doing so many of the things. It's doing the costuming. It's doing the switcheroo. It's doing the bad lighting. It's doing the how do you get rid of a spouse actor. Mm-hmm. Help. It's like covering every single one of those. So yeah, I think it I think it has to remain probably in the top third. I don't think that any of those titles, Evil Under the Sun, Three Act Tragedy, Appointment with Death, and Lord Edgeware Dies, I don't think that any of them should be bested by Mrs. McGinty's Dead, 450 from Paddington, or Taken at the Flood. Like I actually think that it makes a lot of sense to have those three titles be below those four. Right. So the only question is, Mrs. McGinty's dead, 450 from Paddington, and taken at the flood. Right. Are they moved? Are they moved? I'll be honest with you. It's it's hard because we just did 450 from Paddington, right? So obviously that one is much fresher in our minds, but... Mrs. McGinty's Dead actually has a lot to recommend it. I actually really Mm -hmm. like Mrs. McGinty's Dead. It also has a lot of problems. Now we're getting into the more flawed Christie's where there are some obvious flaws. I think that the solution of the puzzle mystery there, there are some loose ends that she doesn't really tie up in Mrs. McGinty's Dead, but has memorable characters. It's a really good Poirot. It's an unusual Poirot because he's in a village. Um, Mm -hmm. It almost feels like Poirot in a Miss Marple novel but in the best of ways. Right. And, you know, it's been a while, but I'm finding, as I think about it, that I have as much affection and regard for Mrs. McGinty's Dead as I do for 450 from Paddington. So I don't think I really have a problem with Mrs. McGinty's Dead being above 450 from Paddington. And I still think that Taken at the Flood has a lot to recommend it, but that it, similarly to Toward Zero being at the bottom of a pack of really great novels, I think that it makes sense for Taken at the Flood to be at the bottom in of a these weird, In a weird way, I can't even entirely explain why, but there is an association between the two. Of what, Toward Zero and Taken at the Flood? Yeah. Like, I have like a mental association between the two of them for who only knows what reason, but it feels right where they're both sitting right now. So I think I feel good about that, but let's get into the next couple of titles here and just go through the titles that are at 31 points. Cause there are a number of those as well. I think this is where we might have to do a, a tiny bit of rejiggering. We've got sparkling cyanide at 23. Then the body in the library is ranked 24 followed by dead man's folly, the Sitterford mystery, and they do it with mirrors. So here's the thing. I think that the body in the library should be at 23. I actually think the body at the library, there's no question that it should be above taken at the flood. 
Oh, so do you want to give it another point or do you want to deduct a point from taking that the flood? No, I think we should absolutely give the body in the library another point. And I think that we were perhaps slightly stingy in our rankings of plot mechanics and plot credibility because we gave it a seven and a five. And I think based on the fact that we keep on referring back to what she did there so economically and crisply in that crisp, Christie-ish way, I would be okay giving perhaps the plot mechanics an eight, actually, as opposed to just a seven or potentially ticking up the credibility. You know, we, I think the reason why we might have given it a five is that it, it's spoiler alert on this one, but it involves hair bleach, which would have smelled really yeah. bad. <laughs> I mean, I have really dark hair, and so I've certainly bleached my hair platinum before. And yeah, Christy would know that too. It's like one of those things where it's like there's no mistaking what that would look and smell like. No, which you know what? We gave it a seven for setting and tone, and perhaps that's where we were slightly stingy. I think if I were just thinking about it right now, I would be like, oh my God, of course that book at least deserves an eight. Right. Why don't we give it an uptick there? Because you're right. There, yeah. I mean, there, there are reasons why we gave it a seven to five, which is not super low either for plotting. All right. So let's give it an eight, which will knock it up to 32 points. And do you feel okay with putting, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I would certainly put it above taking at the flood. And you I want to put it above 450 from Paddington. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, fantastic. So the body in the library is now in the 21st spot. At 32 points, beating out 450 from Paddington and taken at the flood within the novels ranked at 32 points. I'm hopeful we'll put it also in the top third when we are finished with our rankings because I think it really does deserve to be there and does as a Miss Marple novel deserves to be above 450 from Paddington. I think that's fair. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. Well, obviously I need an update as to the current status of your relationship with Howie the Lizard, Catherine. Howie and I are doing great. We're living the dream as best fiends forever. And together we're at, a, you know, level 200 and something and counting. Well, you better hurry because from what I hear, some of the more avid players among our listeners out there may now be north of level 600. I'm just saying. You know, Kemper, I'm more of a quality over quantity person and I think we're doing just fine. Oh, I'm sure you are because, you know, what's great about Best Fiends is that you get both quality and quantity, an endless number of fiendishly difficult puzzles to solve, and each of them beautifully, dare I say, ingeniously designed. A perfect means of whiling away some of the free time we all seem to have on our hands these days. Very true. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, best fiends. Okay. How do you feel about Sparkling Cyanide now at 24, Dead Man's Folly at 25? The Sitterford Mystery at 26, and they do it with Mirrors at 27. Those are all still tied at 31 points. I have to say that I feel like I might lower Sparkling Cyanide. What do you think about that? 
I think I agree with you, actually. It's funny. Sometimes I think we're a little hard on novels when we discuss them fresh from a read. And then we figure out later, like, oh, no, actually, you know, we should have thought more highly of it. That's been the trajectory with Death on the Nile, for example. And I think a couple of these other novels, Body in the Library, we almost had the opposite thing happen with Sparkling Cyanide. I remember rhapsodizing about Mm -hmm. Sparkling Cyanide in that episode. I see that we gave an eight in terms of book-specific characters. I'm not sure why. No. And we never, ever, ever mention it. We never do. You know why? It was because we loved the husband and Mm -hmm. wife in there who were the MP and his wife. Neither of them thought that the other was in love, but they actually were both madly in love. And there was some fine character work there, but I think a seven is plenty for book-specific characters. Although, would you keep it higher than they do it with mirrors? I think I would. Actually, yes. Yeah. Yes. So my question is, I agree that we could change it to a seven. It actually might break these up a little bit. I think it'll help to break them up a little bit because then that'll put it at 30 points. So let's change book-specific characters to a seven, which puts Sparkling Cyanide at 30 points. And then for they do it with mirrors, which is good, but now it's like we're getting into slightly below the midpoint of our rankings, and we're getting into books that have significant flaws. And let's be honest, that is a book that does not sparkle as much as the... No, I mean, it involves really like a lot of weird amounts of running through windows. It's yeah, it's uh, that book to me, my memory of it at this point is that it's a little flat. It's one of those books that just doesn't feel like it has quite enough to hang on to for a full length novel. It's one of those ideas that would have made a really good novella but feels a little stretched thin. Yeah. And one that was like oddly a little too easy to solve even, which we almost never say about Christie, even though it's not like I did solve it, but it just felt a little easy. Mm-hmm. So I think on that one, we might want to lower plot mechanics a little bit. Right yeah. now it's on a, at a six and a six. And I think maybe a five and a six Yeah, would be appropriate. Okay. So that is going to put it at 30 points. All right, great. So now we have Dead Man's Folly in the 24th spot, followed by The Sidford Mystery at 25, Sparkling Cyanide at 26 with 30 points overall. And that is tied with They Do It With Mirrors, which is sitting in 27th place at 30 points. And then we get to a whole bunch of novels that are tied for 28 points. That is four novels, and they are A Pocket Full of Rye at 28, One Two Buckle My Shoe at 29, The Secret Adversary at 30, and The man in the brown suit at 31. And these are all books that have some issues. Yeah, they do. But, you know, I think even the last time we had Sophie Anna on, she was mentioning like, why don't you just have a category for, you know, fondness or likability? And I have to say about it, I don't really have fondness for one to buckle my shoe. No, I don't either. It's funny. I think she's doing some things in One, Two, Buckle My Shoe that are interesting on a plot level. And it's a very complicated, almost convoluted plot, which in Christie is never a bad thing. But that's the only thing that that book has to recommend it. Otherwise, you know, the characters are forgettable. And even though it's the dentist book... (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's right. just so little fun had with that. Like you would think Christie's setting a murder mystery at the dentist would be all sorts of rollicking hijinks. And it's just really not. 
um, because it gets into a lot of global political intrigue. And, you know, as we've discussed and are about to discuss as we get lower in the rankings, that is not something that I think she does as well. So it's an argument for dropping one, two, buckle my shoe in this little grouping Mm -hmm. below the man in the brown suit. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, too. I I don't have a huge amount of affection for a pocket full of rye either. No, me neither. But, you know, that is the Miss Marple as Avenging Fury novel. Right. And that's that's fine. We we can leave that there and yeah. then we'll drop once you buckle my shoe below the man in the brown suit. I agree. I think a pocket full of rye, even though I don't have the affection for it, it has my respect in a way that one two buckle my shoe does not. So I think we leave a pocket full of rye at twenty eight and then we drop one two buckle my shoe underneath the man in the brown suit. Fair enough. Also, the man in the brown suit would be significantly higher were it not for the fact that I think it might be the most deductions we gave any book. Um, no, Hickory Dickory Doc got one more. Oh. And that too is fair enough. The funny thing about that grouping in part, i.e. the secret adversary, the man in the brown suit, and then we're gonna hit NRM next, mm-hmm. is that they're all kind of charming. Well, Which is like a funny thing to say because you don't really necessarily think of Christy as charming, although she very often can be. Well, no, I disagree with that statement. I think that when Christy is at her best, she's charming in addition to all of the other things that she's doing right. so well. I mean, true. Like, I, you know, would we say that And Then There Were None is a charming book? No. But she is very often charming and diverting and clever and witty. And oh, these books are, are these books are all of that. But I think that when she's doing more of the thriller thing, she's doing something that she did well, but she didn't do it a lot better than a lot of other authors. Correct. Yeah, I agree. Right. Like, it's actually remember when we were interviewing Ruth Ware and she had that really interesting way of breaking down the novels in the canon where she said, you know, if you just look at the Poirots and you just look at the Marples and you just look at the standalones, she still would be one of the best mystery authors in the world with just the Poirots. And she still would be one of the best mystery authors in the world with even, you know, just the standalones. But with just the Tommy and Tuppences, this was sort of her argument about why she doesn't love Tommy and Tuppence. She said, if you just look at her, the Tommy and Tuppences, would she really be still one of the best mystery authors Hmm. in the world? And the answer is no. No. No, And I think you could say that about the thrillers. It's like, I think that if you just took all of her thrillers and you gave them to someone who had never read any Agatha Christie before and you said, read these, they're all by the same author. What do you think? I think someone would be like, these are fantastic. I love this. But they wouldn't think, oh my God, this person is a genius. This is like some of the, these are some of the best mysteries I've ever read. So that's why, but it's hard because for that reason, they have to exist lower, even though we have so much affection for them because they are charming and witty and diverting and doing something that Christy does do well, but they just don't deserve to be higher, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree. I, Um, I share your frustration in that. So the next little group at 27 is NRM, as mentioned, mm-hmm. um, Death in the Clouds, and Hercule Poirot's Christmas. <laughs> I've been and remain an advocate for Hercule Poirot's Christmas just because I think that the concept underlying that one is incredibly important, especially given a novel we have not gotten to yet. It is a, the spoiler alert, but it is a precursor to Curtain. 
I would at least put Air Cuparo's Christmas above NRM and Death in the Clouds. I don't think that I would alter its scores in any way, but I would at least put it at 32 rather than 34. Well, you know that I don't like it, but <laughs> um, you make a valid enough point. I, I mean, I can live with that. All right. Well, if you can live with it, I'm going to take it. <laughs> I know. I think I'm following through with my plan. I think in our last rankings conversation, I was like, again, slowly but surely, Catherine, Aircube Pro's Christmas is going to climb up the rankings. Yeah. Next year, it's all of a sudden going to show up at like 15. And I'm going to be like, I gave an inch. So currently then we have Air Cooper's Christmas at 32, followed by NRM at 33, Death in the Clouds at 34. And we've talked about our dislike of Death in the Clouds. She is yeah. doing a lot of what she does very well in that book. It's the airplane book. That's super fun. It's one of the very good puzzle mysteries of the 30s, but I'm very comfortable with it being 34th out of 49. So next up we have Murder in Mesopotamia at 26 points. Lower down, we reference this one very often, and we reference it for its major flaw. Otherwise, it's doing a lot of the things that Christy does very well, but it has one major flaw, and it's a big one, and it's a damning one, and that is why this book is ranked in 35th place, and I have no problem with that. Yeah, I completely agree. So after that, in 36th place, we have The Mysterious Affair at Styles, and this is another one that I think has been slowly climbing the rankings because... It was the first book that we analyzed, so we were way too hard on it in our first episode. We just did, we had no context. Um, I'm not going to put too much blame on us, but it's the first one, and I, that obviously is so important. And I don't know. To me, it feels like it should be above Murder in Mesopotamia. It has some weird costuming decisions, etc. But at the same time, like yeah, we might be have been a little hard on the deductions, frankly. I have a vague memory of those deductions being rejiggered at some point in the rankings. I wonder if we gave it more deductions at some point, because it's hard to believe that it ever had more than four deductions for Stuck in Its Time, but maybe it did. I think given where we've gone since then, four deductions seems a bit steep. Yeah, it does. I'm okay with actually putting the deductions down to three for Mysterious Affair at Styles and perhaps lowering the plot mechanic score on Murder in Mesopotamia from a six to a five, just because we're relentless. We've been over it so many times. Yeah. I mean, that's like legitimately the reason it comes up so often. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, it has a two in plot credibility. So that is where we took away all of our points for the ridiculousness of that one. And spoiler alert, we might as well just say it, but a woman not knowing that she married the same man twice, that her second husband yeah, was in fact the no same person way. as her first husband. Mm. It's just like, I'm just going to run screaming every single time you think about the solution. It's like, oh my God, there's no... You know what? Why don't we give it a one in plot credibility? I think it truly deserves a one. It's the only time I think in the canon, we haven't gone through everything, but it's the only time thus far where I'm just like, no, I can't. I mean, it would be one thing if, like, they had been, like, child bride, if it had been, like, a child bride, and, like, then you meet somebody at age 50, then that's fine, you know? Yeah, or there had been, like, great trauma and abuse or something like that, but it's not, that's that's not how she, she, she often sells very incredible th- plot turns, right? 
I mean, she, she oh, often does sure. pull it off where you can say this is improbable, but okay, I guess I can envision a world in which this could happen. I simply cannot envision a world in which that character, Louise Leidner, I mean, I do remember her name in which she did not realize that her second husband was her first husband. It's just absurd. So I'm okay with giving it a one. I mean, listen, I've been, I have been on like a date before in LA and been like, don't I know you? (laughs) And then realized, oh, I actually, and it's like from some random thing, not like I dated the person, but like from some random thing. 15 years ago. Like you saw them on a panel or something, or you went to a conference with them. 15, no, uh, agreed. Agreed. Humans are not that clueless. No, no one is I that mean, clueless. You, you, might, you might not place somebody. I know, I know a bunch of people who are bad with faces or names, but like if you're talking to somebody for a while, at a certain point, you'd be like, gosh, this person seems really familiar to me. And especially if, you know, they were your husband. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So let's give it a one, taking it down a point, which would put it at 25 points total. And then let's lop off one of those deductions for Mysterious Ferret Style. So it has three deductions, putting it at 25 points, and then we will flip those two. All right. So Mysterious Ferret Styles is now 35th. Murder Mesopotamia is 36th. Moving on to four books that are standing at 24 points. We've got The Moving Finger, Dumb Witness, the Murder on the Links, and The Mystery of the Blue Train. I'm fine with those where they are. I'm fine with those where they are, too. I actually think that we should bring the next novel into the conversation because I'm pretty sure that this we is one it up. where you are going to have some yeah. thoughts, Catherine. Because next down in 41st place currently and at 22 points is Murder is Easy. And you have talked a lot about how you think we were too hard on that novel. Well, it's not just me. Like, we've had a bunch of guests on this podcast who, <laughs> and a bunch of readers and a bunch of people on social media who all think that we were too hard on it. And I actually remember it. It's one of those things where, like, you remember it more fondly as it, time goes on. I mean, it has a bonkers ending. It has a bonkers ending. I agree. I was actually thinking about this because I feel the same way about murder at the vicarage, actually. I mean, and Christy herself said this in her autobiography, I believe, or she said it somewhere that, you know, when she reread murder at the vicarage later in her career, it felt overstuffed. Like it felt like she was trying to do too many things and it is overstuffed. And there are some ludicrous things that happen in that book. Like at the end, a character has a sleepy sickness, which changes his actual psyche, which is why he's acting strange. That is one of the red herring obfuscations that happens in that book. When I read it, I was like, that is ridiculous. That's a demerit. We have to rank this a little bit lower than I otherwise would. Now that is one of the things that I am most fond of in that book is the sleepy sickness angle. And I think I feel a little bit similarly about Murder is Easy. And I was the one, I think, who really disliked so many elements of that bonkers ending when I read it. But it's crazy. There's someone who dies from having a stone pineapple fall on his head off of a post. It's a giant pedestal thing on the edge of a gate. Right. I mean, it's kind of like the domestic version of what happens to Lynette Ridgway in Death on the Nile like a little bit more quaint and amusing, even though we are talking about murder. Yeah, it actually has a lot to recommend it. It's Christie in a village, which doesn't actually happen as often as you would think. The village is well rendered. I'm coming around to it. Yeah, I mean, I actually think that the setting and tone is way too low on it. Yeah, at five, 
totally mm-hmm. agree with you. Here's the thing. I think it's a lot better than Murder on the Links and the Mystery of the Blue Train. I think it's probably better than Dumb Witness. I think it's probably better than Dumb Witness. Dumb Witness is one of those, you know, I think we've encountered a lot of people who are also quite fond of Dumb Witness, but I don't think well, we've here, been as affected so, by those okay. opinions. No, no. Here's the thing with Dumb Witness. Dumb Witness has a problem of, again, this goes back to the novella question. Dumb Witness is not a full-length book. Mm, yeah. And so it's really repetitive because you're getting essentially the first 25 pages, right? Or something like yep. that twice. Yep. The plot of it is actually really good. It's just that in a novel length, it doesn't quite work. Um, and then Murder is Easy has the problem that the ending is just... If we dropped Murder in Mesopotamia down, Murder is Easy is like pretty low there but but you know what though but it's a perfect example of why murder in mesopotamia is an outlier for its failure in puzzle mystery because even though it is a you know a bonkers ending in murder is easy it's possible and 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 also the motive the motivation in murder is easy makes sense yeah no, and, and that's what's so damning about Murder in Mesopotamia, because it's a character issue. I mean, we talk about this all the time when we struggle with not wanting to criticize any of these murder mysteries too much for being improbable when it comes to plot mechanics and the Rube Goldbergian maneuvering of the murderer and the murderer's plot, because that's half the fun. We realize that when we're demanding verisimilitude on that score, we do realize that we have to do it with a little bit of a wink. But... Not as to character. And that's where Christie is usually so masterful and I think, you know, doesn't get the credit that she deserves because she always does make these people seem real and their motivations seem real and they are people who we can recognize and identify with. Just not Louise Leidner in Murderers in Mesopotamia, no. but we can identify with Honoria in Murder is Easy. Well, it's just a little hard to believe that it all happens the way that it supposedly does, but that's okay. Right. I mean, you can... You know, we've talked about this before. There are very few Christie books in which there are psychopaths. Mm-hmm. Very few. Which I think most people wouldn't really think about, right? Well, I think most casual fans of Christie would be surprised about that. Right. But it is kind of a it's a foundational rule of the golden age of detective fiction, right? That the murder has to function according to the rules of a rational functioning brain because the, if it didn't then it wouldn't be solvable. So it makes the psychopath version of a solution pretty difficult to pull off. So she could only do it a couple of times. And whenever she did, I think she, you know, and and then there were none is the best example, right? I mean, that is a psychopath. That is a psychopath's idea, but it is one that is solvable, or at least it's pleasing to figure out the solution at the end. And it makes sense. And it does follow some sort of rationality. It is a puzzle. Like true psychopaths, very few of them. And you kind of get one and murder is easy. You kind of get one murder's easy. By the way, you also get one in Toward Zero. Right. Which, and Toward Zero yeah. has a little bit of the same problem, right? Where by the end, you're mm-hmm. like, mm, okay. I know. <laughs> yeah. Like, is this really how we're ending this here? Yeah. It's hard, it's hard to shoehorn a psychopath and a psychopath's motivations and machinations into a golden age detective fiction story. But she manages to. I mean, she does it absolutely brilliantly bar none in and then there were none and then she does pull it off in towards zero and she pulls it off in murder is easy but not as well however that doesn't take away from the fun that is 
had in this book. And I think you're right that we were a little hard on it. So I'm fine with giving it a seven instead of a five for setting and tone. Yeah. Okay. So that knocks it up to 24 points. And then you agree with me on putting it above Mystery of the Blue Train and Murder on the Links, but you would want to put it below Dumb Witness. That's hard. It's a toss up for me too, honestly. It's a huge toss up for me because they both have completely different problems. I guess we keep it below Dumb Witness, but below Dumb Witness. Okay. But that's hard for me. Fair enough. I'll just reiterate the issue with Dumb Witness is that it's not really a novel. And to a certain extent, I mean, that is the dog book, right? It's the Christie dog dog book. book. And I think that it doesn't completely deliver on the promise of that premise either. The dog doesn't actually witness the murder. And I remember that all the passages involving the dog and the dog's thoughts were, I I believe I put it at the time, embarrassing. That might be another (laughs) element of the book that I now think of more fondly than I did at the time that I was reading. But I just remember being disappointed in the the premise of the dog's participation in a murder mystery. Okay. Then we come to the bottom of our rankings here. At 22 points, we have They Came to Baghdad, and that's in 42nd place of 49. So we're now in our bottom 10. Then we have Why Didn't They Ask Evans, followed by The Seven Dials Mystery, and Death Comes as the End. Those are all hovering around the same amount of points. And actually, why don't we just include Destination Unknown in this conversation as well, because that's next at 19 points. So those are all hovering between 22 and 19 points. I'll be honest with you, and I believe I even said this when we were inserting Destination Unknown into the rankings, I think that They Came to Baghdad is just abominable. I really, really dislike They Came to Baghdad. It was by far the hardest book to read of any of the books that we've read for this podcast. With Death Comes as the End coming in at a close second, just a hair behind. I was going to say, really. I was like, yeah, I was like, I was, that was a little bit of a tough go also. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. And I remember this is something we differed on, but for me, Destination Unknown was a much easier, breezier read. It's still not good. I'm not arguing that it should be anywhere higher than among this pack of titles here in the bottom 10, but... Can I make a really contentious point? Yeah. I think Why Didn't They Ask Evans should be at the top of this group. No, I was about to say the same thing. Here's the thing. Why Didn't They Ask Evans and The Seven Dials Mystery are two of those Christie thrillers where she's doing something that she does very competently, but, you know, not superlatively. There are plenty of other authors that wrote thrillers like that, I think, just as well as she did. And for those two, perhaps better. But there's nothing horribly wrong with them. And we've also learned from many listeners and fans that many people have affection for those titles, actually. And and I understand why, because they're not ridiculously flawed. I just don't think that they're Christy doing what Christy does best. So they deserve to be at the bottom, but at the top of the bottom. I completely agree with you on that. I think there's no question that they came to Baghdad should be below both. Why didn't they ask Evans and the Seven Dials mystery. Yeah, I agree. I also, though, think that for me, there's no question that Destination Unknown should be above Death Comes as the End. I mean, Death Comes as the End, there is an argument to be made that that should be at the very, very bottom 
of our list because my opinion on that one has not changed. That was a slog to get through, and I really never think about it and don't want to think about it. Well, the only the only importance of it is that the solution is clever. Is it? Well, I mean, the idea of... We see her do it other places better, but that idea of what are you, like, looking at? Meaning the wife is looking over her shoulder at her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the idea that a wife is looking over her shoulder at her husband, and he is the one who then kills her. Right. It's like misunderstanding what somebody is talking about, looking at whatever. I mean, that's the only thing really recommending it. It's it's kind of almost like a blocking clue in a way where yeah, it's, it's, it's like a, the it's Occam's a, razor a re- applied to blocking mm, in a way. Right, but it, it's it's a good blocking clue. It is. No, it it is. That is the only thing to recommend it. Comparing it to Destination Unknown, the readability thing, it's the inverse of that category that we've talked about with Sophie before and which our setting and tone category has become where it's the readability, the excitement that you get from the text, that ineffable wow factor. There's the inverse of that when it comes to Death Comes as the End and They Came to Baghdad for me. And I didn't have that issue with Destination Unknown. It was more just a really good beginning of a book that went completely hideously off the rails, <laughs> but I almost took some glee in that as well. It's like yeah. watching a train wreck, which is still fascinating, even though you're a horrible person for taking joy in right. watching it. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess if you feel that strongly about They Came to Baghdad, I guess what we should do is, why didn't they ask Evans, A Seven Dials Mystery, Destination Unknown, Death Comes as the End, and They Came to Baghdad? I'm very much okay with that. I think that's great. To put these in their proper order, I think what we need to do is we've got to, I think, give a point to Destination Unknown. I actually think that it does deserve three deductions for Stuck in Its Time because there's some really yeah unfortunate stuff that's happening, especially toward the end of that book, but also throughout. I think that perhaps the five for setting and tone yeah. is a mm-hmm. tick low. So let's just increase that to six. So that puts it at 20 points. And then Death Comes as the End is sitting at 20 points, which is fine. And they came to Baghdad. I think that we were actually very kind with the six for setting and tone. I think that that one deserves to go down to a five. You know what I would do? I would give the setting and tone a five and I would put the characters at fours, which knocks it down three points and puts it at a 19. How do you feel about that? I feel good about that. Although your destination unknown now has the sign of the devil in it. (laughs) That's true. Six, six, six. All right. So then we have our final three, and these are all tied at 16 points, but we have ordered them thusly. Hickory Dickory Dock in 47th place, The Big Four in 48th, and in dead last place, The Secret of Chimneys at number 49. I'm good with that ordering. I, You know, yeah. we talked very recently about why we think Hickory Dickory Dock deserves to be as low as it is. I mean, that does have our highest number of deductions. It has eight deductions, and it deserves them. So I'm okay with that. And I still think that the big four certainly deserves to be above the secret of chimneys. You know, we've talked about that, Catherine. Apparently I've got the big four on my to read list and you've got the secret of chimneys because I I think we might've been too harsh on the big four and you think we might've been too harsh on the secret of chimneys. I do, but you know, in 2020 Kemper, let's not put ourselves through that. 
2020 might not be their year to reread our lowest two ranked Christie titles. No, maybe not so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we didn't change all that much, which is ultimately to our credit, I suppose. I do think that we have an interesting crop of titles in the year to come. You know, at this point, we do around 10 or 11 titles per year. We've slowed down as the years have gone by, but we have a couple of titles that will get ranked pretty high and then others that will get ranked not as high. So it'll just be interesting to see where they filter in here. But the rankings are beginning to solidify because we're well on our way to having covered all of them. So that's exciting, but a little bittersweet, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that there are at least three that I can think of that are probably going to knock off some of the higher titles yeah, that are I mean, coming up. I assume the three you're thinking of are Ordeal by Innocence, the Pale Horse and Endless Night. Mm-hmm. And I think by the pricking of my thumbs will yeah. be an interesting one to review. Yeah, but I do think those three, it'll be interesting to see where they fall. And I think they have a good shot at certainly at falling within the top third of these rankings. Yeah, and also we'll eventually we'll have Curtain. We'll eventually have Curtain. And let's not forget Nemesis also. You know, I think that Nemesis will be an interesting book to read in the 21st century. I think it might have some stuck in its time issues. I think it has, from what I understand from some people who've read it in recent memory, I think it might have some problems. But I think it is also a really powerful late Miss Marple Yeah, for sure. No, it'll Um, it'll be interesting to hit it. We won't probably get to it until... 2022. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Where will we be then, Catherine? Who knows? You know what? At this point, I find it not useful to speculate because it turns out hard to predict. Indeed. Well, on that note, let's sign off and wish ourselves a fruitful year of reading more Christy and discussing and analyzing it with all of you. We're very much looking forward to it. We will be coming back to you next time with a short story episode. We'll be covering the next two Labors of Hercules within the Poirot collection. Those two stories would be The Horses of Diomedes and The Girdle of Hippolyta. Mm. Very much looking forward to those. And our next novel is Ordeal by Innocence. One of those novels we're just identifying. Yeah, Yeah, very much looking forward to that. As am I. In the meantime, please let us know what you think of our rankings. If you have any strong opinions as to uh, where things stand, you can email us at allaboutthedame at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at allaboutthedame. Catherine is on Twitter at Brobcat. Our Instagram handle is at allaboutagatha. And our Facebook page is allaboutagatha. Take a moment to rate and review us if you haven't yet done so. It really helps other people find the podcast. And we love getting those ratings and reviews. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye. 